Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Okinawa Karate Podcast. I am Josh Simmers, coming to you from the birthplace of karate, Okinawa, Japan. This is part three of my interview series with Sensei Pat Miguel. In part one, we learned about his upbringing here in Okinawa and his introduction to Okinawa Kempo. In part two, we learned about his travels to the United States and his introduction to Wushu. In part three, we will learn about his introduction to the Omine Karate Dojo in San Bruno, California. I hope you enjoy this episode. But after about 10 years, I think it was around 2009, 2010, is uh, when I stopped. I stopped uh, going to Wushu. Um, and I, I was introduced to where I am today uh, by a, a, a friend. Uh, from a, There were multiple people in the same family, so I'll just say the Pimentel family. Okay. <laughs> Uh, got me in touch with uh, Susan Budge. Uh, Sensei Susan was uh, seventh dan in uh, Matsubai Shiryu uh, and Kishabajuku. Uh, so Kishabajuku is a method of study uh, within the Matsubai Shiryu arts. So Kishabajuku, they use the same katas, uh, same principles, of style wise, but what they go into in more detail is body mechanics and more effective or efficient use. So that's Sensei, what it's quite Juku. I'm trying to look this up. What, what, how would, what's the translation of Juku? How would you explain that? The kanji is going to be important there, right? Because Juku is the schooling over here in Japan. You know, the children have their regular school that they go from morning till afternoon, and in the evening time they go to Juku. Their additional studies, their accelerated studies or their advanced studies. Kumon Kumon is the one that's popular around the world. Kumon, yeah. But we just use the term Juku. Right, right. Like every... Juku. Not every, but the large majority of the students go to Juku at night for additional math, additional uh, Japanese, additional science or whatever. Right. So is it... It, 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 can we say that in a generic sense that it's um, a deeper study or um, analysis extended or study. something? Okay. Uh, extended study or method, extended method of study. Okay. Uh, and that's how Sensei Shinzato, so uh, the Sensei that's heading this up now, like Shabajuku, is uh, Sensei Shinzato, Katsuhiko Shinzato. Uh, he is uh, still has his dojo at his house here in Okinawa. Uh, in, uh, um, but to you know, connect the two names and styles, uh, Sensei Susan uh, was trained originally under Omine Sensei, uh, who is part of the Nagamine Shoshin Nagamine uh, style of Matsumai Shiryu. So direct uh, lineage there with the Matsubayashi. Uh, Ryu Correct. Uh, Foundation. Right. right. And so the name of the dojo uh, that I run now, uh, Omine Okinawa Karate Kobudo Dojo, uh, and the reason I named it as such, before it was just called Omine Karate Dojo. I wanted to emphasize Okinawa, uh, and I wanted to emphasize Kobudo, because I do teach Kobudo there as well. Uh, Sensei Susan really didn't teach Kobodo. Uh, you know, there have been times where certain ones of her senior students did teach, 
But the dojo started in 1973. So she opened it up with Omini Sensei. Wow. In 1973. And it's been open since then. Always right there in San Bruno. San Bruno, right? Wow. San Bruno, California. Um, so our dojo has a lot of history uh, from the likes of Nagamine Sensei being there twice uh, and Kishaba Sensei and, and Shinzato Sensei has been there quite a few times as mm -hmm. well. Um, now, unfortunately, Omini Sensei passed away in 1976, uh, oh. some type of heart condition so then sensei susan was left to manage the dojo on her own and she was a uh, uh you know rather young well not young she was she was rather inexperienced to really hold a dojo much less you know teach the arts she, uh at least as her comfort level um and so because Nagamine Sensei knew of Omine Sensei's passing, he sent other senseis from Okinawa to help support her in the sharing and spreading of Matsubai Shiryu. I think Shinzato Sensei was probably the second or third sensei that was there that was asked to assist Sensei Susan to, you know, be trained and be comfortable with, you know, maintaining the dojo and teaching Matsubai Shiryu and so forth. Mm -hmm. uh, and she also had spent many times uh, for longer durations traveling back to Okinawa and training with Nagamine Sensei and with uh, Shinsei Shinzato later. And, and, you know, eventually since 73 to more present years, um sensei susan started to recognize you know since nagamini sensei passed his son passed away uh and then there was more pressure for the organization and politics and so forth and she didn't want to be any part of that so she uh hey, so kishaba sensei was another one who was a senior kishaba sensei omini sensei and Shinzato Sensei were all three senior students under Nagamine. Kishaba Sensei left and started his own sao called Kishaba Juku. Uh, and when he passed, he turned it over to Sensei Shinzato. I don't, I'm sorry, but I don't know exactly when the, that year was. Mm -hmm. But Sensei Shinzato, uh, current day, teaches uh, Kishaba Juku, they're very active. Um, and um, Sensei Susan was promoted by uh, Kishaba Sensei to Shichidan back in the day. So she has certificates, and that's her last certificate there. Okay. Um, so in about 2010, so roughly 10 years ago, is when I first started going to Omini Dojo. Uh, meeting Sensei Susan. Uh, she is someone that no one would ever expect. Just her appearance in her 70s, it's just very, uh, you know, very soft China doll kind of face 
blonde hair from New York, a lady, being a nanata. You know, it's like, about Okinawan styles now. What? You never think of it. You've never seen it. But boy, was her spirit and her abilities ever uh, reflective of that, you know, rank. And she was very good. Yeah. Uh, and she was very strict. And yeah. that's probably maybe all the more reasons she was strict was because she had to struggle and fight through yeah. all of the stereotypes and everything. One being a woman, two being a foreigner with blonde hair <laughs> you know? yeah. and being beautiful at the same time. Yeah. And I was like, man, this beautiful lady inside and out. And she, she was through and through her personality and her love for the arts all around, anything related to art. She used to work and had a career in uh, working at art galleries in her time. She was quite an artist herself uh, in, in, you know, drawing, painting, etc. But her brother, Alex Borger, is the one that introduced her to uh, Matsubai Shiryu Karate in New York. And uh, that's where she started. And those guys were pretty rough, too. Pretty rough class. Uh, she's telling me about how they would have to run, even in the snow, barefooted. You know, I, I also wanted to think, well, is this like that story? You know, you used to go to school barefoot backwards up the hill. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but but I believe what she was telling me, you know, not backwards, but but again, she was probably one of the only women that were there in the class, but she wouldn't ever back down from a fight or a struggle or a challenge. She mm -hmm. never would. And so it's what kept her going. Uh, then when she had the opportunity to open a dojo here in the West Coast with Omini and say she took it and she took the chenet. Um, so... Uh, one of the students introduced me to Sensei Susan, and um, he he basically told her, "Oh, this is you know Pat McGill from Okinawa. He you know studied in Okinawan uh, karate. He's born and raised there. And she's oh, let him come, you know, let him come, uh, have him come, and all, always open to having guests." And I trained there, and the minute I opened the door, going to dojo. And, and even meeting her, I thought, wow, where was this place, you know, 10 years ago? I just wish I had known it. But it's a beautiful dojo. The way she set it up uh, was just wonderful. It just reminded me of being in Okinawa in a real dojo. You know? mm -hmm. uh, and that's reflected not only in how the dojo appears, but really from the students, right? Their attitude, their respect level, their behavior, and their dedication and how serious they are and focused in training. Uh, that was there. Um, so I felt cool being there. Um, <clears throat> and while she didn't have any issues with me, I, I think there was, it was hard for some of the students that were seniors to, you know, accept me originally. But uh, to date, you know, we're all good friends, and also uh, some of them come and still train. Mm -hmm with us whenever they can. But, you know, I have, I have students that range from four years old on up to 70. So, you know, that's a quite range uh, difference in age groups and uh, abilities, you know, where some of the older folks, they just want to come in and do kata. And, and I get that. I understand. Yeah. That, you know, um, but as long as they keep moving, you know, 
that's 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 what it's all about. So when you started there with with Sensei Susan, you had been out of I don't want to say out of, but you had been out of a formal Okinawa style dojo now mm-hmm. for more than ten years. Oh, more than 10 closer years, to twenty yeah. years. Right, right. And then when you when you went there, what how, how she accepted you? Come in here. You're a black belt in another style. Wear your black belt. How, how did that go? Did you? Uh, treat it like an Okinawa dojo, and okay, here I am. Back I did. For, uh, I, I did. I treated it like an Okinawa dojo, and you know, out of respect, I, of course, I was going there as a guest, and uh, you know, so I, I never was expected to be recognized for what rank I had, you know, and whatnot. But you know, of course, I was asked to do kata, or asked to be a guest instructor eventually and that turned into something more permanent you know while sensei susan was around uh as some of her you know well one unfortunately she her health was declining uh and then unfortunately we lost her a couple years ago uh to um, uh, asl so um it was quite devastating you know for a lot of lives that she had touched mm-hmm. in her years um so it, it, was, it was quite challenging uh and she had even been talking to me all along because there were many nights where depending on my work schedule and where i was working there was a time there I, I had two or three jobs going and it was harder for me to travel home uh, it was about a distance of 70 miles uh, to get from home or to go to the dojo so she would let me stay at the dojo uh she and her brother stayed at the dojo already and they had an extra room so i would stay there and then go to work in the morning um so you know i'd spend evenings with them and you know have a glass of wine or you know watch a movie or chit chat all night long or something mm-hmm. you know? so i got to know her and became great friends with her and i, I learned a lot from her yeah. um, one thing that was quite different about her is that you know she was she was into the art as I was saying, but what's different about Matsubaya Shiryu and how you don't find many uh, stylists from Matsubaya Shiryu really into sparring so much is because uh, Nagamini Sensei wasn't really about sparring. Instead of the actual contact sparring or free form sparring, he was really more about the yakshokumite and instead of having an external art as they would call it in this you know physical engagement he made more towards the internal arts where he would have his students meditate before class so meditation was part of the practice okay and so sensei susan was also doing the exact same thing but the meditation, when she claims the meditation and sitting seiza destroyed her knees. Now she actually had one knee replacement. Uh, and just the concepts of understanding meditation, and I don't know, this is before my time, so I don't know how long she actually did it, but she transitioned from Japanese you know, uh, form of meditation to Tibetan meditation. Mm-hmm. And so she completely switched to that. Uh, so that was one other thing that was very deep about her studies and her interests. 
she also did kudo, uh, Japanese archery, mm-hmm. which again is not common for a woman to do, right. especially in that time, you know, in the seventies, eighties, not not common. Uh, so it's another art form that she did, you know, along with formal tea ceremonies, you know, and so th- this is how Sensei Susan you know, presented herself and presented her life. Uh, these are the arts and things that she enjoyed. Uh, in the end, you know, um, in in her last days, you know, she, uh, well, we knew beforehand, but she told me that as she saw me teaching and carrying on the classes, she said that she wanted to turn over the dojo to me um, because she felt as though what I could offer the students as I was trained in Okinawa, trained for a long time, you know, including weapons and so forth, she felt mm-hmm. as though I could offer more than her, some of her other options. Um, but many of the other senior students, you know, they were already, you know, not really frequenting uh, the dojo, the ones that would, would have been qualified to teach, or they were more involved with their family, more involved with, uh, you know, their work or owning businesses or they moved out of the out of the area so she had very few choices you know but Mm -hmm. uh she felt comfortable in turning it over to me Uh, and it was serendipitous really for a lot of things in my lifetime you know happened just for whatever reason but i just happened to be there at the right time but she turned us over to me the whole dojo students and everything you you know and so i ended up having to learn all of Matsubayashi Yukatas from her and some of the senior students. Uh, and Kokuro that I teach today are all from Okinawa Kempo. So that hasn't changed. When I tell people about what is it that I teach or, you know, what's the style I teach, I usually tell them, oh, I teach Okinawa Karate. Yeah. Because it's hard for people to if they're not part of Okinawa Kempo, or if they're not part of Matsubaya Shiryu, they wouldn't know what it was, even if I told them. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. And there you have two choices. So then, if I say Okinawa Karate, they can assume certain things. If they were Okinawan, or if they had studied an Okinawan art, they would have a good guess at it. Um, so that's why, you know, I, I would state it as such. Uh, here in the States, you know, oh, what, what martial arts do you teach? And oh, I said, karate, you know, like, is that, is that the same thing as Taekwondo? Or is that judo? Is that all the same mm-hmm. thing? Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? So mm-hmm. I, I just prefer to say Okinawa Karate. Because um, in the end, you know, it's something that you were kind of alluding to before, is how much jujitsu affected what I taught or what I understood. Uh, same thing with Okinawa Kempo and the Kobudo that's all involved. It's yeah. sort of nested as one art, right? Yeah. And then you have Matsubai Shiju and Kishabajuku, right? Yeah. That's a lot, a lot of variables. Yeah. But in the end, a punch is a punch, a kick is a kick. But how you do it, right, can vary a lot. Yeah. And everybody's also different in how they do it. You know, that's what I really enjoy about all of the experiences I've had and all of the different uh, exposure I've had uh, from my father's jujitsu to uh, wushu, 
um, and now studying in Kishabajuku with Sensei Shinzato. You've been down to Sensei Shinzato's dojo mm -hmm. uh, quite a few times with myself and Carlo even. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, it, it's, it's quite a vast level, vast uh, <laughs> sources of, you know, understandings. And so I, I don't, a lot of people tell me, well, I've got to pick one way or another, you know, just as they would tell me, oh, you, when you compete, you, you should just compete in hard style or soft style or, or just do one or the other. I don't, I don't believe that you have to, you know. I think uh, just, just like if I'm, you know, somebody asks me, oh, are you, are you, uh, are you half? Uh, you know, in my mind, I think more, no, I'm not half, I'm double. You know, I, I'm I'm one of I'm one of American and I'm one of Okinawa. You know? Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I'm not half. I'm gonna tell my but, kids that. <laughs> yeah, but it's this mentality that you know we assume for not being one, right? And I mean that that goes into a whole nother discussion, <laughs> but you know, uh, but just like that, it's. You only know what you know, you know, yeah. or, or you don't know what you don't know. Um, with that, I usually describe, you know, what I teach as Okinawa Karate. Okinawa Karate. Um, but in my advanced class, I teach and share everything I know if the students are ready for it. Uh, so as they progress in their training, you know, some nights we'll have the tatami mats out. You know, we'll start throwing them. I have them practice rolling, taking falls. And I'll have them start practicing joint locks, nerve techniques, and understanding how that all works. Uh, and then sometimes I'll incorporate during a regular class, you know, uh, like I was describing earlier about an inside crescent kick into the inside shoulder, what that really looks like, you know. So if you're doing that, I say, how important is it to actually kick your hand? You're not going to kick your hand. Why kick your own hand? You're going to kick your opponent's hand or, or mm -hmm. opponent's arm or something, right? Mm -hmm. So I said, if all else, I said, if you can't reach that high and if you can't reach your foot, then I said, at least make contact with your leg somewhere. It could be your knee, your shin, your calf or something. But if you can't reach your foot, don't bring it down below your knee just to be able to reach your foot. That gets away from the whole purpose of the technique, mm -hmm. right? So that's... Those are the different things that come to mind as, you know, how my way of viewing certain techniques even for practical applications right down to display of the kata when you don't have an opponent uh, and you're trying to display as if there was an opponent. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, quite different. But I try to share all of these um, styles and all of my training together as one. Um, but of course, I only teach to students who are able to understand those concepts. Then I'll I teach see. you. I see. Yeah. I, I, I work them up to that state. Right. You know? right. So starting from Moto Sensei at the age of five, all the way now to being with Shinzato Sensei. That concludes part three of my interview with Sensei Pat McGale. I hope you enjoyed learning about his introduction to the Omine Karate Dojo in San Bruno, California. 
In part four, we will learn about what is still going on at the Omine Karate in Kobudo Dojo, or the Omine Okinawa Karate in Kobudo Dojo, as Pat Sensei now calls it, and his introduction to uh, Shinzato Sensei and his, his training and teaching philosophy that matches uh, Shinzato Sensei very much. It's a bit of an in-depth conversation, gets a little bit deep with discussion about body movement and mechanics. But stay tuned for part four because it's a good one. As always, thank you very much for tuning in to the Okinawa Karate Podcast. I am Josh Simmers coming to you from the birthplace of karate, Okinawa, Japan. <laughs>